Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Looking for more information on the podcast? Visit litreading.com. Now please bear with us as we pay the bills. Our story begins shortly. Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. In the 19th century particularly, good boys were supposed to enjoy the fruits of their righteousness, and bad boys were destined for eternal damnation, at least according to Sunday school books. But according to Mark Twain, life often contradicted expectations. In this episode of Lit Reading, I bring you two separate stories with similar names. The story of a bad little boy, which follows after... The Story of a Good Little Boy by Mark Twain. Once there was a good little boy by the name of Jacob Blivens. He always obeyed his parents, no matter how absurd and unreasonable their demands were, and he always learned his book and never was late at Sabbath school. He would not play hooky, even when his sober judgment told him it was the most profitable thing he could do. None of the other boys could ever make that boy out. He acted so strangely. He wouldn't lie, no matter how convenient it was. He just said it was wrong to lie, and that was sufficient for him. And he was so honest that he was simply ridiculous. The curious ways that Jacob had surpassed everything. He wouldn't play marbles on Sunday. He wouldn't rob birds' nests. He wouldn't give hot pennies to organ grinders' monkeys. He didn't seem to take any interest in any kind of rational amusement. So the other boys used to try to reason it out and come to an understanding of him, but they couldn't arrive at any satisfactory conclusion. As I said before, they could only figure out a sort of vague idea that he was afflicted. And so they took him under their protection and never allowed any harm to come to him. This good little boy read all the Sunday school books. They were his greatest delight. This was the whole secret of it. He believed in the good little boys they put in the Sunday school book. He had every confidence in them. He longed to come across one of them alive once, but never did. They all died before his time, maybe. Whenever he read about a particularly good one, he turned over quickly to the end to see what became of him because he wanted to travel thousands of miles and gaze on him but it wasn't any use. That good little boy always died in the last chapter, and there was a picture of his funeral with all his relations and the Sunday school children standing around his grave in pantaloons that were too short and bonnets that were too large and everybody crying into handkerchiefs that had as much as a yard and a half of stuff in them. He was always headed off in this way. He could never see one of those good little boys on account of his always dying in the last chapter. Jacob had a noble ambition to be put in a Sunday school book. He wanted to be put in with pictures representing him gloriously declining to lie to his mother and her weeping for joy about it, and pictures representing him standing at the doorstep giving a penny to a poor beggar woman with six children and telling her to spend it freely, but not to be extravagant, because extravagance is a sin, and pictures of him magnanimously refusing to tell on the bad boy who always lay in wait for him around the corner as he came from school, and welted him so over the head with a laugh, and then chased him home saying, Hi, hi, as he proceeded. That was the ambition of young Jacob Blivens. He wished to be put in a Sunday school book. 
It made him feel a lithe, uncomfortable sometimes when he reflected that the good little boys always died. He loved to live, you know, and this was the most unpleasant feature about being a Sunday school book boy. He knew it was not healthy to be good. He knew it was more fatal than consumption to be so supernaturally good as the boys in the books when he knew that none of them had ever been able to stand it long, and it pained him to think that if they put him in a book, he wouldn't ever see it, or even if they did get the book out before he died, it wouldn't be popular without any picture of his funeral in the back part of it. It couldn't be much worse of a Sunday school book that couldn't tell about the advice he gave to the community when he was dying. So at last, of course, he had to make up his mind to do the best he could under the circumstances, to live right and hang on as long as he could and have his dying speech all ready when the time came. But somehow, nothing ever went right for the good little boy. Nothing ever turned out with him the way it turned out with the good little boys in the books. They always had a good time, and the bad boys had broken legs. But in this case, there was a screw loose somewhere, and it happened just the other way. When he found Jim Blake stealing apples and went under the tree to read to him about the bad little boy who fell out of a neighbor's apple tree and broke his arm, Jim fell out of the tree, too. But he fell on him and broke his arm. Jim wasn't hurt at all. Jacob couldn't understand that. There wasn't anything in the books like that. And once, when some bad boys pushed a blind man over in the mud, and Jacob ran to help him and receive his blessing, the blind man did not give him any blessing at all, but whacked him over the head with his stick, and said he would like to catch him shoving again and then pretending to help him up. This was not in accordance with any of the books. Jacob looked them all over to see. One thing that Jacob wanted to do was to find a lame dog that hadn't any place to stay and was hungry and persecuted and bring him home and pat him and have that dog's imperishable gratitude. At last he found one and was happy, and he brought him home and fed him, but when he was going to pet him, the dog flew at him and tore all the clothes off of him except those that were in front and made a spectacle of him that was astonishing. He examined authorities, but could not understand the matter. It was of the same breed of dog that was in the books, but it acted very differently. Whatever this boy did, he got into trouble. The very thing the boys in the books got rewarded for turned out to be the most unprofitable things he could invest in. Once, when he was on his way to Sunday school, he saw some bad boys starting off pleasuring in a sailboat. He was filled with consternation because he knew from his reading that boys who went sailing on Sunday invariably got drowned. So he ran out on a raft to warn them, but a log turned with him and slid him into the river. A man got him out pretty soon, and the doctor pumped the water out of him and gave him a fresh start with his bellows, but he caught cold and lay sick abed nine weeks. But the most unaccountable thing about it was that the bad boys in the boat had a good time all day and then reached home alive and well in the most surprising manner. Jacob Bliven says there was nothing like these things in the books. He was perfectly dumbfounded. When he got well, he was a little discouraged, but he resolved to keep on trying anyhow. He knew that so far his experiences wouldn't do to go in a book, but he hadn't yet reached the allotted term of life for good little boys, and he hoped to be able to make a record yet if he could hold on till his time was fully up. If everything else failed, he had his dying speech to fall back on. He examined his authorities and found that it was now time for him to go to sea as a cabin boy. He called on a ship captain and made his application, and when the captain asked for his recommendations, he proudly drew out a tract and pointed to the words, To Jacob Blivens, from his affectionate teacher, 
But the captain was a coarse, vulgar man, and he said, Oh, that be blowed. That wasn't any proof that he knew how to wash dishes or handle a slush bucket, and he guessed he didn't want him. This was altogether the most extraordinary thing that ever happened to Jacob in all his life. A compliment from a teacher, on a tract, had never failed to move the tenderest emotions of ship captains and open the way to all offices of honor and profit in their gift. It never had in any book that ever he had read. He could hardly believe his senses. The boy always had a hard time of it. Nothing ever came out according to the authorities with him. At last, one day, when he was around hunting up bad little boys to admonish, he found a lot of them in an old iron foundry fixing up a little joke on fourteen or fifteen dogs, which they had tied together in a long procession and were going to ornament with empty nitroglycerin cans made fast to their tails. Jacob's heart was touched. He sat down on one of those cans, for he never minded grease when duty was before him, and he took hold of the foremost dog by the collar and turned his reproving eye upon wicked Tom Jones. But just at that moment, Alderman McWelter, full of wrath, stepped in. All the bad boys ran away, but Jacob Blevins rose in conscious innocence and began one of those stately little Sunday school book speeches which always commenced with, Oh, sir, in dead opposition to the fact that no boy, good or bad, ever starts a remark with, oh, sir. But the alderman never waited to hear the rest. He took Jacob Blivens by the ear and turned him around and hit him a whack on the rear with the flat of his hand. And in an instant, that good little boy shot out through the roof and soared away toward the sun with the fragments of those fifteen dogs stringing after him like the tail of a kite. And there wasn't a sign of that alderman or that old iron foundry left on the face of the earth. And as for young Jacob Blivens, he never got a chance to make his last dying speech after all his trouble fixing it up, unless he made it to the birds, because although the bulk of him came down all right in a treetop in an adjoining county, the rest of him was apportioned among four townships, and so they had to hold five inquests on him to find out whether he was dead or not and how it occurred. You never saw a boy scattered so. Thus perished the good little boy who did the best he could, but didn't come out according to the books. Every boy who ever did as he did prospered except him. His case is truly remarkable. It probably will never be accounted for. And now, in Counterpoint, The Story of the Bad Little Boy by Mark Twain. Once there was a bad little boy whose name was Jim, though... If you will notice, you will find that bad little boys are nearly always called James in your Sunday school books. It was strange, but still it was true that this one was called Jim. He didn't have a sick mother either. A sick mother who was pious and had the consumption, and who would be glad to lie down in the grave and be at rest but for the strong love she bore her boy and the anxiety she felt that the world might be harsh and cold toward him when she was gone. Most of the bad boys in the Sunday books are named James and have sick mothers who teach them to say, Now I lay me down, etc., and sing them to sleep with sweet plaintive voices and then kiss them goodnight and kneel down by the bedside and weep. But it was different with this fellow. He was named Jim, and there wasn't anything the matter with his mother, no consumption, nor anything of that kind. She was rather stout than otherwise, and she was not pious. Moreover, she was not anxious on Jim's account. She said if he were to break his neck, it wouldn't be much of a loss. She always spanked Jim to sleep, and she never kissed him goodnight. On the contrary, she boxed his ears when she was ready to leave him. 
Once, this bad little boy stole the key of the pantry and slipped in there and helped himself to some jam and filled up the vessel with tar so his mother would never know the difference. But all at once, a terrible feeling didn't come over him, and something didn't seem to whisper to him, Is it right to disobey my mother? Is it sinful to do this? Where do bad little boys go who gobble up their good, kind mother's jam? And then he didn't kneel down all alone and promise never to be wicked anymore and rise up with a light, happy heart and go and tell his mother all about it and beg her forgiveness and be blessed by her with tears of pride and thankfulness in her eyes? No! That is the way with all other bad boys in the books, but it happened otherwise with this Jim, strangely enough. He ate that jam and said it was bully in his sinful, vulgar way, and he put in the tar and said that was bully also, and laughed and observed that the old woman would get up and snort when she found it out, and when she did find it out, he denied knowing anything about it, and she whipped him severely, and he did the crying himself. Everything about this boy was curious. Everything turned out differently with him from the way it does with the bad Jameses in the books. Once, he climbed up Farmer Acorn's apple tree to steal apples, and the limb didn't break, and he didn't fall and break his arm and get torn up by the farmer's great dog and then languish on a sickbed for weeks and repent and become good. Oh, no. He stole as many apples as he wanted and came down all right, and he was all ready for the dog, too, and knocked him in ways with a brick when he came to tear at him. It was very strange. Nothing like it ever happened in those mild little books with the marbled backs and with pictures in them of men with swallow-tailed coats and bell-crowned hats and pantaloons that are short in the legs and women with the waists of their dresses under their arms and no hoops on them. Nothing like it in any of the Sunday school books. Once he stole a teacher's penknife, and when he was afraid it would be found out and he would get whipped, he slipped it into George Wilson's cap. Poor Widow Wilson's son, the moral boy the good little boy of the village, who always obeyed his mother and never told an untruth and was fond of his lessons and infatuated with Sunday school. And when the knife dropped from the cap and poor George hung his head and blushed, as if in conscious guilt, and the grieved teacher charged the theft upon him and was just in the very act of bringing the switch down upon his trembling shoulders, a white-haired improbable justice of the peace did not suddenly appear in their midst and strike an attitude and say, Spare this noble boy. There stands the cowering culprit. I was passing the school door at recess, and unseen myself, I saw the theft committed. And then Jim didn't get wailed, and the venerable justice didn't read the tearful school a homily, and take George by the hand and say, Such boy deserves to be exalted, and then tell him to come and make his home with him, and sweep out the office and make fires and run errands and chop wood and study law, and help his wife do household chores, and have all the balance of time to play and get 40 cents a month and be happy. No, it would have happened that way in the books, but it didn't happen that way to Jim. No meddling old clam of a justice dropped in to make trouble, and so the model boy George got thrashed, and Jim was glad of it because, you know, Jim hated moral boys. Jim said he was down on them milksops. Such was the coarse language of this bad, neglected boy. But the strangest thing that ever happened to Jim was the time he was boating on Sunday and didn't get drowned. And that other time when he got caught in a storm when he was fishing on Sunday and didn't get struck by lightning. Why, you might look and look all through the Sunday school books from now till next Christmas, and you would never come across anything like this. Oh, no, you would find that all the bad boys who go boating on Sunday invariably get drowned, and all the bad boys who get caught out in storms when they're fishing on Sunday infallibly get struck by lightning. 
Boats with bad boys in them always upset on Sunday, and it always storms when bad boys go fishing on the Sabbath. How this gym ever escaped is a mystery to me. This gym bore a charmed life. This must have been the way of it. Nothing could hurt him. He even gave the elephant in the menagerie a plug of tobacco, and the elephant didn't knock the top of his head off with his trunk. He browsed around the cupboard after essence of peppermint and didn't make a mistake and drink aqua fortis. He stole his father's gun and went hunting on the Sabbath and didn't shoot three or four of his fingers off. He struck his little sister on the temple with his fist when he was angry, and she didn't linger in pain through the long summer days and die with sweet words of forgiveness upon her lips that redoubled the anguish of his breaking heart. No, she got over it. He ran off and went to sea at last and didn't come back and find himself sad and alone in the world, his loved ones sleeping in the quiet churchyard, and the vine-embowered home of his boyhood tumbled down and gone to decay? Uh, no. He came home drunk as a piper, and got into the station house the first thing. And he grew up, and married, and raised a large family, and brained them all with an axe one night, and got wealthy by all manner of cheating and rascality, and now he is the infernalist, wickedest scoundrel in his native village and is universally respected and belongs to the legislature. So you see, there never was a bad James in the Sunday school books that had such a streak of luck as this sinful Jim with the charmed life. These contrary morality tales were written while Samuel Clements, Twain's real name, lived in San Francisco in 1865. While the stories are pure fiction, Twain did say about the finale of the Good Little Boy story, quote, This glycerin catastrophe is borrowed from a floating newspaper item whose author's name I would give if I knew it, unquote. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend, subscribe to the podcast, and if you really enjoy them, it would be great if you'd leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Don McDonald. <laughs>